there. You're listening to the Cary Church Podcast. We at Cary seek to be flourishing communities of hope, transformed by God's love, following Jesus and serving in God's world. To find out more on how to connect with us, go to cary.asn.au. This morning we're reading three passages from Acts 10, so starting with Acts 10, 1 to 29. Cornelius calls for Peter. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day, at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? he asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up to the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to the earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, Get up, Peter. Kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Then Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one that you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, We have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. The next day, Peter started out with them, and some of the believers from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence, but Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said, I'm only a man myself. While talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. 
He said to them, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? And then the next reading is Acts 10, 34 to 35. Then Peter began to speak. I now realise how true it is that God does not show favouritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears and does what is right. And then Acts 10, 44 to 48. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptised with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptised in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. Well, hi and welcome to you. If you don't know me, I'm Brian Harris, service pastor at large here. And uh, we're looking at this series of in the life of Peter and some of Peter's Instagram moments. And I'm, I want to suggest that the passage that we look at today, Acts chapter 10, is actually much more than an Instagram moment. It's not just a Peter's Instagram moment, it's a your Instagram moment and a my Instagram moment. It's a, it's a huge moment. And, and if you asked why, it's really because without Acts chapter 10, um, it's highly improbable that you would have been here today. Highly improbable that I would have been here today. And unless you are of Jewish background, and some of you might be, but most of us certainly wouldn't be, unless you're of Jewish background, uh, we might forget that Christianity started out as a little sect of Judaism. So who were all the first converts? They, they, they were Jews. And uh, as they were Jews, they had been raised in Judaism. If you were male, you would have been circumcised. You certainly kept all the food laws. And it was like Jesus just gave this little variation of what it meant to be Jewish. But you wouldn't really have thought that Christianity was for everyone, that following Jesus was for, for everyone. And you would have thought that because, uh, listen, while, while it is true that in Genesis chapter 12, Abraham had been told that, that, that through him all the nations in the world would be blessed. The, 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 the truth was that the conversion rate uh, from, from being a Gentile to being a Jew was just like really small. It, it sometimes happened, but it almost never happened. And uh, this passage suggests that that's going to change, suggests that it's going to change. And, and you really have to think of it as like being one of these huge moments in the life of the church. So, 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 so think to one of the huge moments in your life. I don't know what your biggest moments were. Uh, maybe it was your decision to follow Jesus. That, 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 that would have been a huge moment when suddenly you make that decision and you realize everything's going to be different. Or I can remember... Uh, many years ago now, just waking up in the middle of the night, and Rosemary and I had been going out for a little while, and woke up in the middle of the night and just had the sense of, she's the one, marry her. And oh my goodness, that's changed my life, uh, hugely for the better, hugely for the better. But, 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 but that moment of just realizing this is the person. Or do you remember that day when your first child was born, 
and you suddenly realize everything changes now, everything changes. I no longer sleep through the night, kind of ever, you know, my first child has been born. And, and, and there are moments like that, that they're really big moments, significant moments. And, and this is one of those really big moments because it's about discovering that God is bigger and that God's plan is bigger and that God's heart for people is much bigger than we ever imagined. And that God wants everyone to come to know Jesus. Now, now I recognize that you might be sitting here today and you may say, well, that's a little ho-hum, I've known that forever. But, but let's remember uh, who, who was getting this particular vision and who was getting the, the, this message. So it, it comes to Peter. He's Jewish in his background. And uh, yes, he would have known that, that Gentiles could, could come and become Jewish because they, 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 they could. If you were a Gentile and you wanted to become Jewish, you could be baptized. And you, if you were a male, you could be circumcised. And you would start to follow all the food laws and you'd observe all the religious days that Judaism had. And yes, you could become Jewish. And a very small number of people had made that journey. So if you came from a Jewish background and you thought about Gentiles, your, your instinct would, would be to say, well, we all know that they're dogs. And, and if you were, were Jewish, in fact, you, 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 you said a prayer every day that started with, uh, with, with thanking God that you are not a Gentile. So, 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 so you had an extraordinarily low view of the Gentiles. So, so yes, they could convert, but like they were never going to be a significant number in your, in your group. Secondly, uh, you know, the startling thing that comes here is that, that if Gentiles did convert to become Jewish, I mean, it would have seemed to, to you to be screamingly obvious that they would do that on your terms. They would do that on very Jewish terms. They would follow Jewish laws. They would follow Jewish food laws. They would recognize Jewish worship days. So not many people would come in. If they came in, they, they, they come in on our terms. Uh, and so it won't be too, too different. They'll, they'll land up looking much the same as we do. And a third one, and, and this is an area that people don't very often think about. If you were Jewish, when you thought about the coming of the Messiah, you would have thought of the coming of the Messiah as being the coming of the person who was going to conquer Rome. So, 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 so let's remember that when Jesus comes, uh, Israel is a, is a conquered nation, and it's under the, the oppression of Rome. And Jews, as they look to the coming of the Messiah, were basically saying, there's going to be this day, there's going to be this day when, when Messiah comes, and he's going to overthrow the Romans, and at last we will be free. So, so you might remember that the very last question that the disciples actually asked to Jesus before he was descend, ascended into heaven, and the question was what? Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And then Jesus ascends, to, ascends into heaven. Uh, so, so their last question is, is this the time? Are you, are you Messiah in the way we've always thought? Are you going to get rid of the Romans for us? Now, now that thinking carried through into the early church that somehow the Jesus event was this, 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 this decisive moment for Israel that, that would see the overthrow of the Romans. Now, here's the thing. Acts chapter 10 says very decisively, nope, you're wrong. That's not what it's all about. In fact, this is about everyone coming to know God. In fact, who's some of those everyones? Well, well, who's this person who gets converted here? He's who? He's Cornelius. What's his job? He's a Roman centurion. So is he going to come into the church and say, woohoo, we're going to look forward to the, the overthrow of the Romans? No, suddenly that agenda just changes and it gets dropped. And you've got to think about what following Jesus means in quite a different way. Because as the Gentiles start to get converted, large numbers of them, I mean, where were they coming from? 
Well, primarily they were coming from, from Rome. They, 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 some of them were Roman citizens. Uh, they were all under Rome in one way or another. And so, so to start talking about, you know, Jesus has come, and so Israel's now going to conquer Rome, suddenly that just drops off the agenda altogether. And so you're thinking about what it means that Messiah has come actually changes very fundamentally as well. So, so this passage, it really is impossible to, to overemphasize its importance. Let, 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 let's, let's just run through what's happening here. So Cornelius is described, and, and let's, let, let's look at the chapter. We are told uh, in Acts chapter 10 that uh, at Caesarea, and now Caesarea was where, where the Roman occupation force was headquartered. So, so, so Cornelius absolutely represents Rome because he's there in the very headquarters of the oppressing army. That, 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 that was housed at, at, at Caesarea. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion, in other words, someone in charge of 100 soldiers, in what was known as the Italian Regiment. Don't, don't you love the detail that, 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 that you've been given? You've been reminded this is actual history. This is a real person. We can locate him. We know which regiment he was a part of. We know what role he had within it. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. Now, now, what does that mean? He was devout and God-fearing as a Jewish way of saying, okay, so there are Gentiles and there are Gentiles. I mean, all Gentiles are pigs, uh, but uh, some are less piggish than others because some are devout. In other words, they, they recognize that there's only one God. So they are genuinely God-fearing. So this man doesn't know Yahweh. He's not a Jewish convert, but he does believe that there is a God. He's a devout, he's a God-fearing man. He, he's a genuine person. And as this man prays, the hour comes when sunny God says to him, comes to him in a vision, and it's an angel, and says, you must go to the house of, of Simon Peter, or Simon the, 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 the tanner, and a man there, Simon Peter, uh, you'll find that he's been praying, and you must bring him through to Caesarea. And for, for, for Cornelius, this is a dramatic moment, because he's been praying, and he's been trying to, been trying to worship God for so long. I mean, he's just been one of these, these people who instinctively know that God is, who instinctively recognizes that there's something more. But he's never had much information about it. He's never really had a name to give to God. And now at this breakthrough moment, God has come to him. And, and, and it's a reminder, incidentally, I mean, many, many people ask the question, and you've probably asked it as well, and you can guess what the question is, what about people of different faiths? Can they get to know God? Uh, you know, does God ever make himself known to them? And, and this passage says that actually, you can be praying to God, not necessarily having all the right information. You can be praying to God in a very vague kind of a way, and the God of all the earth can suddenly break through. And that's what happens here. He's a devout man, he's a kind man, he's a good-hearted man. Does he know Yahweh? No, he does not. They would have described him as a Jewish convert if, if he had been one. So he's in the category of, I believe in one God, and I'm a good man, and I'm respectful to, to, to the Jewish faith, but I haven't found God yet. But God has found him, and that's the key point, isn't it? Because this is a passage not about us finding God, but about God finding us, and about God taking the initiative. And so as he prays, he gets told, there is a man, uh, Simon Peter, you must bring him here, and he will give you the news that, 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 that you need to know. And of course, uh, as he's praying, and as he sends off some people to go through to, to, to Joppa, where Peter is, uh, Peter has gone up to the rooftop to pray, and, and houses in that part of the world had flat roofs, and it was a place, if you want a bit of privacy, you'd, you'd go to the roof. So whereas we might now say, go to your room, they would say, go to the roof, and, and, and you could be there on, on your own. And he was praying, and as he's praying, he gets this vision. 
And, and we must understand how remarkable this vision would have seemed to him because he gets what he thinks is a test. And, and there is this, this like blanket filled with, with, with animals. And uh, we're told that there are four-legged animals and uh, they would have been amongst some clean animals. The, 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 the Jews divided animals into what they classified as clean and unclean. And there would have been clean and unclean animals amongst them and that meant that Peter couldn't eat from them because the unclean animals were contaminated and if you were Jewish, you couldn't eat them, period. And so as this vision comes and he sees all these animals, he hears a voice and he thinks it's the voice of God. And it says, Peter, take, eat. And Peter's instinct is, this is a test. I'm not going to fall for it. And so he feels almost quite self-righteous. Uh, surely not, Lord. You, you know, I've never, ever, ever, ever done anything like that. I would never, ever break Jewish food laws. And, and to his absolute astonishment, uh, what's he told? Uh, he is suddenly told that the voice comes, we're told that the voice spoke to him a second time, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. And, and it's like, what? I mean, from my earliest years, I've been told that somehow this will contaminate me, and now you, and, and you, God, are telling me that I must participate in it. And, and just as I'm kind of trying to argue back against, against this, I, I get this vision, it comes through three times, and then there's the knocking at the door, and I realize that I'm being invited to go to a Gentile to tell this Gentile about Jesus. And Peter is suddenly realizing, oh my goodness, God is bigger. God's love is bigger. God's love truly is for everyone. And, and what's more, it looks as though God's love is going to be on God's terms, not our terms. And those terms are terms of great generosity. And those terms are about a new order that's actually coming in. It's a remarkable passage. And, and it sees, sees some incredible statements being made. I mean, look at Peter's statement uh, in verse 28, Acts chapter 10, uh, verse 28. Uh, and let me see it here. While talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. 28, he said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with Gentiles or to visit them. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. I should not call anyone impure or unclean. You, you, you know that in human history, is the first statement of human rights. I mean, we might not think about it, but it actually is. It is Peter's declaration. God has said, no one is impure, no one is unclean, everyone matters, everyone counts. And oh my goodness, we've taken 2,000 years to recognize the, recognize the, 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 the absolute truth of this. And, and the statement of human rights, fundamental human rights, that, that, that actually God values every single human person, that he never looks at someone and says, somehow you are fundamentally lesser, you are not important, you are not significant. And this statement comes out from Peter right here, and it's from a simple fisherman. And that this first declaration of rights comes from a fisherman who, if you remember Peter's track record as a, as, a, as a fisherman, couldn't even catch fish. I mean, every single time he went fishing, it had to be a miracle before he caught something. I mean, it's starting the, the, the actual transformation that has come about. As I say, you cannot, you cannot overestimate the significance and the implications of this passage. So let's just try and unpack some of the things that, that, that it is saying to us. Firstly, I want you to notice a, a relatively obvious thing, but I think it is an important thing. W where does this transformation come about? Where, how, how does this change of mind come? Well, what is Cornelius doing 
when he hears from God. Cornelius is praying at the hour of prayer. We're told it's in the third hour in the afternoon or the ninth hour of the day. And what is Peter doing? Well, Peter's on the roof and he is praying. And, and, and we should notice the, the importance of prayer in this passage because it, it's a reminder that, that that stuff tends to happen when we pray. Now, I, I've said this is more than an Instagram moment. This is, this is a huge thing. And huge things tend to happen when we pray. Don't know if you've read Darren Cronshaw's book, Dangerous Prayer. Uh, I mean, it, it's such a strange sounding title, isn't it? Dangerous Prayer. Uh, but I think he's got it absolutely right. Praying is a dangerous activity. And, and Cronshaw's thesis is, is a very simple one. He says, we think that praying is a nice activity. We think that praying is a safe activity. We think that you know, praying makes us feel close to God and that we'll feel good about it. But actually, when you read the scriptures, praying is a dangerous activity. And it's a dangerous activity. Why? Because we find that God catches us up in his purposes. And he tells us to do things that we might otherwise not do. And in fact, our lives very often change as a result of prayer. So, so if you don't want to change, don't pray. If, if you don't want God to challenge you, don't pray. And, and, and really, if, if you, if kind of maybe in, in your family life, you're thinking, oh, well, you know, uh, you know, there's the church prayer meeting on or something, I could go there, that would be a nice, safe, tame activity. As scripture would just want to give a kind of theatrical cough back. <coughs> you, you think that's safe? That's not going to be safe at all. Because actually, when God comes, God speaks and God challenges us. And when we truly pray, when, when we truly pray, we get to that point when we realize that God is actually saying to us, so you're praying about this? So how are you going to answer that? What are you going to do about that? And prayer reminds us that, 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 that the first thing that tends to happen in prayer is that we realize that God is already on mission and that it's the mission Dea that we need to be concerned about, the mission of God. And the mission of God is always bigger than our mission. And so when we become quiet enough to pray, we start to listen to what God is saying and we start to see what God is doing in the world and we find ourselves being caught up in those purposes. And so, so as you go through, through the book of Acts, one of the, the incredible themes that comes through Acts is the way in which prayer tends to, to, tends to go before very significant things happening. So our first Instagram moment was, I think, the day of Pentecost. Uh, so comes the day of Pentecost, what's happening? 120 of them are gathered together for prayer. And in that prayer moment, the church is born. Uh, next miracle takes place as, as, as Peter is on, on the way to the temple to pray. And, and actually, even before he prays, the, the, the dramatic moment comes and he sees a blind beggar and he restores his sight to him. And, and, and there are multiple moments as you go through Acts when, when as the church prays, very dramatic things happen. And there is a cause and effect that, 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 that is shown there. And so I think that this Instagram moment day, where we've shown that God is so much bigger is also a little reminder that, that we find that we can change uh, when we're in the place of prayer. And that when we pray, we start to realize God has an agenda that is beyond our own. And God invites us to be more expansive and God invites us to be larger. The passage also challenges us to take ourselves a little less seriously. I mean, have, have you noticed the extraordinary thing that happens here? Uh, Peter arrives at, at Cornelius's house. And let's look at verses 25 and 26. Uh, so, so Peter's arrived at Cornelius, the, the house of a Gentile, but an extraordinarily important Gentile, a Roman centurion. So, 
As he gets there, uh, we're told that Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. Cornelius met him, met Peter, met the conquered Jew, met this conquered Jew, and he's a Roman centurion, and who falls on the ground and, and starts to worship? It is Cornelius who did that. Now, now that's just... I mean, I mean, there's a certain sense in which you have to say, I can't believe it, because that just doesn't happen. I mean, if you are the, conquer, the, 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 the conqueror of Rome, you don't fall at the feet of, of your conquered nation, thank you very much. You don't go before a fisherman and kind of bow down and start to say, you're incredible, you're amazing, I worship you. And, and this would have been for Peter, kind of a pinch me, or, you know, if only my mother could see me now. Uh, you know, if mother could see me now, she'd never believe that I'd have a Roman centurion bowing at my feet, thank you very much. And, and he could very well have said, oh my goodness, I am seriously important. <laughs> you know, I, this is rather nice. If this is what it's going to be like, you know, when the Gentiles come to faith, you know, bring it on. I, I, I like these moments. But he's having to learn, of course, that uh, actually, uh, you know, let God be God. Don't take yourself too seriously. And he promptly says, no, stand at your feet. I'm just a man like you. I'm just a man like you. And must do whatever I must do. Uh, you, you know, when God starts to use us, he teaches us to take ourselves less seriously. I, I can remember when I started out as a pastor, I had, had all these great dreams of the important things that I'd like to do. The first church I passed, Stellenbosch Baptist Church, uh, one day someone comes dashing in and says, Brian, Brian, uh, come, I mean, we, we, we need your prayer. We're on the way, way to the hospital. Can you just, just, just give a prayer for us b b before we go? And I, my, my kind of head kind of swelled with, with, with pride. And I thought, oh, it's so important. These people are dashing off to the hospital and they want my prayers first because even though the specialists no doubt will be waiting for them, they know without my prayers, it's kind of not going to be successful. So I think this is so nice to be a pastor. I kind of walk out to the car and he says, yes, yes, what, what happened is this? And, and this, this, this chap Derek is speaking. He said, you know, I was hanging up the curtains in the house and uh, unfortunately the, 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 the chair was a bit unstable and I, and I fell and I landed on our cat and she's really very sick. So we opted to the, the veterinary hospital uh, to take her there. And I said, you want me to pray for your cat? And he said, yes, yes, we thought that that might be quite helpful. So, so anyway, I kind of just swallow my pride, pray for the cat, and off it goes to the hospital, and the cat dies. <laughs> and and it's great, you know, I mean, thank you, God. You're giving me this, this ministry of praying for, for cats and kind of being the exterminator for cats. Uh, two weeks later, that, 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 that same guy, Derek, had got quite sick, and uh, I can't quite remember what it was, but he was at church, he was looking really peaky, really unwell, so I said, would you like me to pray for him? And he kind of just looked at me and said, no, thank you. <laughs> Peter's having to learn very early on, listen, you don't take yourself too seriously if you're in ministry. I mean, you, you might have people falling at your feet, thinking that you're incredible or whatever. We are all just human beings together. We're all just human beings together. And, and, and I recognize that, actually, been a little bit of a, a memory day. Um, when, when, I've said, said before that when I was a kid, I used to love going to the soccer, and I supported a Durban team, Addington, who changed the name to Durban Spurs, and then they became Durban Spurs United. And it was just very exciting to, to, to go to the, the, the soccer each Sunday afternoon. But one of my great heroes of that day was a, a soccer player. He was a captain when they, they, the, the team was called Addington. Henry Hauser was his name. And if any of you remember back to soccer in South Africa in the 1960s, which you probably don't, but Henry Hauser was kind of one of, one of those great names. And as a boy of eight, nine, ten, I had his, I had his photograph everywhere all over, over the wall of my, my house. 
And uh, one day I was, I was speaking at a businessman's lunch, and as I was looking out, I just suddenly realized, that is Henry Hauser, who's sitting in the crowd. And I almost couldn't carry on. I was so excited. You know, There's Henry Hauser, and he's listening to me, and I must say something hugely profound, because you, you know, my, my hero from, from, from my youth is suddenly in, in the audience. And, and what was more, you know, as I finished, he actually came up and he spoke to me, like, this is incredible. And, and he asked me about uh, kind of the, 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 the passage. He'd become a Christian, apparently, and he was very interested in some of the things that I was saying. And I wanted to speak to him about soccer, and I was wanted to remind him of all these incredible goals that he had scored. And I had seen one where he had kind of scored a goal from an incredible distance, and I started to speak about it. And it was clear that he like, wasn't actually particularly interested in talking about that. He wanted to know a little bit more about the Bible and was speaking to me about that. And I had to stay on topic, and you suddenly realize, actually, there's a different kind of level that comes in with the cross and all the things that you once thought were so important of much less importance. And, and Peter and Cornelius are recognizing that. In, in human terms, the power differential between them was astronomical. I mean, the power differential between a Roman centurion and a Jewish fisherman, zero comparison. I mean, if Cornelius wanted, he could have had Peter killed and no one would have asked a second question. But here it is, Cornelius falling on the ground and worshiping him and Peter having to say, actually, in God, there is no difference. You see, you can't take yourself too seriously. You, 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 you can't take yourself too seriously if you're following Jesus. You could be someone who witnesses to kings and queens or to fishermen or to whoever. You know, that's God's agenda and that's absolutely fine. Because this passage is saying God cares for everyone. And, and, and the thing that we need to notice is that God cares for everyone in the sense of, yes, he cares for the lowliest, he cares for the most insignificant, he cares for people on the fringes, but it's also a reminder, and God also cares for some pretty significant people because Cornelius was a significant person. So, so does God care for those in the fringes? Yes. Does God care for those who are in positions of reasonable power? Yes, this passage is saying that. And it is saying again and again and again to us, God's love is bigger. God's love is bigger. And, 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 and so the third thing that I want to say that I think comes from this passage, first, it just reminds us that prayer is astonishingly important. It reminds us that we really mustn't take ourselves too seriously and we can land up in all kinds of positions and just let God be God. But thirdly, it reminds us that change comes when we let God be God. That change comes if we let God set the agenda. And that when we let God set the agenda, we, we discover that sometimes those things that we've always assumed aren't actually true. Now, it's not that there was anything wrong with Jewish food laws. It's not that there was anything wrong with the way that the Jews observed days, but that was just for a season. It was just for a time. God's revelation is progressive, and he shows us more and more of the depth of his love. And as this passage moves us on to a new era, an era that says, actually, I called Abraham so that all the nations in the world would be blessed, and I did actually mean that, though you, you, you tended just to forget about it. As, as this moves on, you suddenly realize God really does care for everyone, and he wants everyone to come to know him. Now, now what does that mean today? Well, who was Cornelius? Cornelius was a God-fearing and a devout man. He was a kind man. Even though he's a very powerful man, he was seriously nice. But that still wasn't enough, was it? And, and I wonder if you think about your neighbors, for example. I imagine that some of you have really nice neighbors. Some of them might even be quite spiritual neighbors. 
Some of them might be really quite nice. Or think about people at your work. Some of them might be quite spiritual people, really very nice, very decent, kind-hearted people. And you might think that's enough. Surely that's enough. It's enough to kind of be a little bit spiritual. But this passage says no. Nice though Cornelius was, it was not enough. He still needed to actually hear the message about Jesus. And, and his life would never actually be full until he knew about Jesus. And, and yes, he was searching, but that searching found an answer and had an address, and that address was Jesus. And, and we live in a day where, where I just get this feeling that many of us in the church have lost confidence in that. And we think that it's enough for people to be nice. And we think that it's enough for people to be kind of spiritual. And we think that it's enough to, for people to be kind. But this passage says no. Actually, God sees what goes on in people's hearts. And he's not hard-hearted about that. He doesn't not recognize that. I mean, your, your really nice neighbor who's kind-hearted, God isn't saying, oh, you, you're, you're kind of equivalent to Hitler. He's not saying that at all. But God is saying, but you still need to know me. And life never really comes to its fullness until you find Jesus. And the greatest act of compassion is therefore to say, God loves everyone, even loves your thoroughly decent neighbor, even loves your thoroughly decent person in the workplace, even loves the, your thoroughly decent relatives, and wants you to speak a word of grace. And spot the Mishadah, because this is the thing. You see, God was already at work there. And it wasn't that Peter had to rush in. Peter just, just didn't suddenly wake up one day and said, you know what, I'm, I'm off to Caesarea today because I want to be in Caesarea and I want to, yes, I think I'm going to go to find a Roman centurion. I'm going to speak to them. I mean, it wasn't like that at all. Peter went because God said, I'm already at work. Now go work where I'm working. Speak into the space that I've created. Be sensitive to what I'm doing. Recognize that I'm bigger than you imagine. And you probably have some blocks about going in. And your blocks are, surely I couldn't go with someone who's always been supposed to be unclean. And, and you know what? It could be that there are people out there that they, I mean, they are actually quite nice, but maybe they have some big blocks in terms of what they do in their life, you know, big no-go areas so far as you're concerned. I mean, they, they, they're really nice people, but like, I mean, I don't know what it is, but it could be that you just don't see them because they're living a particular lifestyle or whatever, this passage says, think again, think again, think again. Because Peter went in and he was saying, you know, he's unclean, I couldn't possibly go there. And God had to say, I'm bigger than that. And I don't mind where he's starting. I don't mind where he's starting. I'm bigger than that. And, and, and Peter had to say, but what will happen to me? I mean, if I go there, I will become unclean because, because we know that that's what happens. That's what the Jews say. If, if, if you meet with someone who's a Gentile, then you become unclean. And God had to say, oh, grow up, grow up. I'm much bigger than that, much bigger than that. So, so it says to us today, don't, don't be afraid of anyone. Don't be afraid of people who may be very different to you, who may be made very different choices to you. You still have to be a Jesus person. But it's not that you sit back saying, whatever you choose is absolutely fine. That's not what the passage is saying. It's not what the passage is saying at all. The passage is saying, you go there in the loving name of Jesus, remembering that God is bigger and live the truth of Jesus and speak a word for Jesus and be unafraid to do that. And so this passage, which is the only reason why you are here today and the only reason that I am, 
because otherwise Christianity would just have been this tiny little sect of Judaism and it would have gone absolutely nowhere and would probably have died out. This passage, which, which said God is bigger, has meant that the church has always had eyes wide open and heart wide open for all kinds of people everywhere and has always said, and God loves absolutely everyone and therefore never be afraid of anyone because God's love is bigger and God's love in the end conquers all. And so engage in some dangerous prayer because as we pray dangerously, it could be that God says, and now's the time to start speaking, speaking in situations where you thought, maybe I can't say anything. And perhaps even this week, God will challenge you and me to say some words that we never thought that we'd say. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this extraordinary, more than Instagram moment. The moment when the church realized that you genuinely care for absolutely everyone. And Lord, forgive us that there are probably some people that we've written off. They seem nice enough, but we just don't think they'll ever come to know you. Help us to have the courage to be your people, to speak your word, and to live for you. Help us to take ourselves a little less seriously so we're a little less worried about what people do or don't think about us. Help us to be more concerned about being bearers of your love and of your grace to others. We pray this in your name. Amen.